Go to John chapter 4. Uh, my voice is dying, so we'll get through this. We're going to pick up where Pastor Billy left off last week, but, which is toward the end of chapter 4, verse 46. But we're going to kind of pop back up into chapter 4 to look at a little bit along the way. But before we look at the passage, let's do a little hermeneutics. Some of you might ask, Herman, who? Well, hermeneutics is a um, kind of a technical term for what we call the science of interpretation. Some of you are in our men's Bible study and our women's Bible study, and we've been trying to introduce to you what we call the inductive Bible study method. And I was uh, thoroughly chastised this morning that there are not three parts of the uh, inductive Bible study method. There are five. So when you, you begin to look at Scripture, you pray, and then you read, and then you do three things. So remember what the, the first of the three are? No cheating, Jen. You teach, so you can't let everybody else. What are the three words? Anybody remember? Wow, first service got it right away. You guys are a bunch of losers compared to them. So, <laughs> Interpretation's the second one. What's the first one? The first one is observation, interpretation, and application. So by observation, so I approach the text, God, show me what you, what you want me to see in your word, and we observe. We, we read it, and we look at this word, that word, this phrase, that phrase, and we make all these connections. Then the goal is, to get to the end, is, application, where we apply it to our everyday lives. But in the middle there is this thing called interpretation. And what's behind interpretation is, what does the original author say to the original reader? Okay? And the reason I'm bringing that up today is because it's really important as we approach the Gospels. How many Gospels are there? Four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, now there's two approaches that we could have as we look at the Gospels, because we've got four of them, and they're all different accounts of the life of Christ. And there's, there's two approaches to it that have both value and limitation. One is called the harmonization of the Gospels, and the other is called authorial intent. Harmonization of the Gospels, the value in that is that as we take Matthew, we take Mark, we take Luke and John, we can pull all the pieces together and get a big picture of who Jesus is and what he did and, and kind of a timeline. And it's very helpful to do it that way. In fact, those of you who are, are doing the Bible reading plan with us, that's what we've been working through is the Gospels chronologically and figuring all that out. But there's another side of it that we would call authorial intent, the limitation of what we would say is the harmonization of the Gospels is that I think it's more observation and it's harder to do the interpretation, meaning what's the original author saying to the original reader? So take, for example, John. We're walking through 30 weeks together in John. We're going to um, you know, get through middle of chapter 5. We're just going to keep working through all the way to Easter and beyond, a little bit beyond that. And what we need to do is make sure that we are letting John tell us who Jesus is and not go borrow from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, which those are great on their own. Think of it this way. John is both the, the director and the cameraman. So he's saying, I want you to see this, where, you know, you and I watch a, a movie or a TV show. We're only seeing what's on the other side of the camera on the, on the, because there's a lot of stuff going off camera. Well, today as we walk through this, John's going to point out one really big thing, and that is the truth that Jesus is equal with God. It's a major truth, and we're going to see that unpacked today. So harmonization of the Gospels, it's good, but also authorial intent. What is the intent of the author as we work through that? So there you go. There's some nerdy, nerdy stuff for you. Let's set up the context. John chapter 4 says this, verse 1. 
we're gonna, I want to show you just kind of some big picture stuff. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, whoops, um, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left where? What's the name there? What did it say? Judea. Okay, you got to be with me here, okay? Got to talk back. And departed again then for Galilee. Just make note of those. Judah's, Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north. In order to get there, he had to pass through where? Samaria, okay? Samaritan. We, we, we often call it the good Samaritan. That's where he's from. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, that, had, um, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now we jump down here, um, well, in the middle here, Pastor Billy walked us through the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well. Powerful story. We're not going to cover that today. Obviously, that was covered last week, so go read it or go listen to the sermon on the podcast there. You got Google, Spotify, or Apple, where we've got you all covered. So uh, jump down to the bottom of chapter now, verse 39. So after she tells her story, we read this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? He told me all that I ever did. Like he just, he totally, through truth and love, said to her basically, I, I got this. Like, like, I love you, I care for you. And there's, it's just a beautiful picture, beautiful story there. But then it says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more did what? Believed. We keep seeing that word over and over again because of his word. A few weeks ago, um, uh, Mike Patonic uh, sent me an email, and he says, guess what? I figured out how many times the word believe or believed or believing is in the book of John. So I looked it up too, and he was right. Um, the word, Greek word for believe is pistuo. Now, you can say that in church, and you're not swearing or saying a, a, a dirty word or anything like that. So the Greek word is pistuo, which means believe. It is used 98 times in the book of John. Look at how many more that is than any other book in the New Testament. 98. That's it. So guess what? John wants them to believe, and he wants us to believe. It's interesting because it's also Luke uses it in Acts a decent amount, and then in Romans, and then guess what? The little book over here still has a lot. What book is that? First John. John wants us to believe. What does he want us to believe? John 20, verse 31 says, believe that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Son of God. And then it says, and that by believing we may have, come on, you guys are just, you're being, you need more coffee or something, that we might have life in his name. That's what all of this is about. So, verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee, okay, so he got, he finished his journey up north. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, I love this, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So way down south, Jesus was down in Jerusalem at the uh, Passover, and all the people from Galilee were down there watching him do stuff, and then he shows up, up in their area. It's like, yay, Jesus is here. For they too had gone to the feast. In fact, here's just a quick uh, a visual. So down here's Judea, and then way up here is Galilee. Here's the uh, Sea of Galilee, and right up here at the top is Capernaum, which is kind of headquarters for Jesus. Here's Cana over here, and then right in the middle 
is Samaria. So Jesus just makes his way up there. Probably not that. Probably just a little, little direct route, uh, hopefully, um, <laughs> through that. So there were no Ubers or trains or cars. A lot. Jesus got a lot of steps in. So, um, so we pick it up in 46. That's all the introduction. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he did what? Made the water wine. What was it at? What kind of occasion was it? the wedding, okay, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official. Some translations say there was a centurion, like this was a Roman uh, officer of some sort, and his son was ill. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to heal the son, okay? Just, just get that out of the way. So, let's talk for a minute, and let's, let's think through. So, we've got, uh, in chapter 3, who is Jesus talking to? Nicodemus. And what was Nicodemus's job? What was his role? He was a Pharisee of the highest sort. He was a teacher. Like, it was a big deal. Came to Jesus at night because he's like, I'm not sure I want to be seen with this Jesus guy. So he's way up there. Who does Jesus talk to in chapter 4? Woman at the well. Okay? Complete contrast. Uh, Way up here, social status. Way down here. She's a woman. At, out in the country, she was uh, a Samaritan, and she was an outcast because of all the husbands that she had had. Jesus is talking to both. And then in chapter three here, or chapter five, uh, four here, he's now talking to a Roman officer. So you've got a respected Jewish teacher, a Samaritan woman, and a Roman official. Back to back to back. John wants us to see something. What does he want us to see? He's going to show us a number of truths about Jesus, but here's the first one. Jesus is available to everyone. Jesus is available to everyone. I really struggle with the way to say that, and that's just the simplest way I could do it. But right now, there's a phrase that's used is, um, that, that Christianity is, is getting criticized for being exclusive, the exclusivity of Christianity. Well, the truth is, the sad part is that you know, followers of Jesus have been exclusive at different times, point in history, but the Bible makes this clear. In fact, we just read a few weeks ago that God loved the world, the whole world, all kinds of people so much that he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And there's a phrase in John 3, 16, whoever. Well, who's the whoever? Men, women, boys, girls, red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, Republicans, Democrats, independents, gay, straight, and everything else. They're all invited to the cross. They're all invited to understand who Jesus is. Now, now we want to be truthful. We want to tell the whole story, though. When you, when you think about exclusivity, there is a sense in which Jesus is exclusive. John 14, we're going to get there. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is saying, I, I'm the only ticket to, G, to, to, to a relationship with God. So there is a sense that all the other religions are wrong. And Jesus is right. And that's something that we have to wrestle with. But John's saying, do we believe that? Do we, do we really put our, our trust in that truth? So the truth is there's only one way, but it's open to everyone. And John wants us to know that. So I want you to just, right where you're at, take a moment, bow your head, and I want you to thank God that Jesus is available to you. Take a moment, just thank him for that. We're all different in this room. Let's thank him.
Thank you, Father. Thank you. All right, one verse down. We've got to, got to keep going here. Let's see what happens with the uh, Roman official. Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him, some of the other translations say he begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. But Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now in the ESV, which is what we normally use, that is a, sent- that is a, um, a direct sentence. Um, but, in, but in the Greek, there are no uh, commas or um, question marks. So what do you call that? No, punctuation. Um, uh, I was trying to get, look at the English teacher to help me out, but you weren't quick enough there. But uh, punctuation. So some of the translations read it more as a question. The NLT says, so Jesus asked the guy, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Remember at the end of John 2, Jesus says he did not entrust himself to the people because he knew what was in their heart. He wasn't ready to just give them everything because his time had not yet come. His, his, there was a sense in which people were just interested in his signs and miracles. And he's saying, hey, if you want the signs and miracles, you get me too. It's a package deal. So his identity and his actions go together. You can't separate them. Do you believe in who I am or what I can do? Here they go together, but Jesus is making a distinction. So verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, please, you can just hear the begging there, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Simple phrase. And then the man did what? He believed. The word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went in his way. Simple. Like, that's not complex to understand. Like, he says, please heal my son. Go, your son will live. Okay, see ya. Like, just like that. As he was going down, going back home, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. Like, like, what time was it? And they said it was yesterday at the seventh hour, about five in the evening, the fever left him. It'll be later than that, but never mind, I messed that up. Um, yesterday, seven hour, the, uh, the fever left him, and the father knew that was the hour that Jesus said to him, your son will live. I think that's the coolest thing. And he himself did what? Believed. It's the third time we're told that this guy believed. And guess who also believes? His whole household. We see story after story where people, once they encounter Jesus, what do they do with it? They go tell somebody. I think you and I, most of the time, I got a little Jesus. You want some? (laughs) No. It's like, look at what Jesus is doing in my life. In fact, I'm convinced, and I'm saying this to me too, I wonder if there's enough Jesus in us that just doesn't overflow. There's not enough to overflow. Like, just give me a little bit. Don't, don't, don't give me a lot. Because if he's really changing us, i got to tell you about it. Just wrestle with that. All right, let me give you another truth about Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm going to give it to you, but we're not going to talk about it until we get to the third truth, and that's this. This was now the... Uh, oops, I, for, I forgot this verse, 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. What was the first sign? We actually read it already. 
water into wine, okay? So John's going to have seven signs. He's going to call it the seven signs of Jesus throughout the book of John. But here's the truth I want to give you. Jesus has the power to heal when we ask. Centurion came, begged to him, heal my son. Jesus healed him. Straightforward. Chapter 5. I think John puts these back to back for a reason. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now again, John doesn't give us any details. Just, Jesus is now in Jerusalem. You know, like that. You know, like, you, you wonder if Jesus could like, okay, I'm just going to just teleport there or something, you know, and, but he probably walked there, but John's not caring about the details. He's just, he's now down in Jerusalem. We don't know what feast this is, but there is, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Remember that Jerusalem had all these gates around there. There's a sheep gate. There's a pool there, and it's got these five roofed colonnades. You can picture the, the Roman uh, architecture there, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, Blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, we'll pause there. We've just added to the list, haven't we? Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the Roman uh, centurion, the Roman official, and now a Jewish invalid. Like this is God, again, available to everyone. But let's keep going. Verse 5. Oh, wait. Where's verse 4? Do you have a verse 4 in your Bible? There's no verse 4, is there? If you've got a verse 4 in your Bible, you're probably reading the wrong version. But that's, um, um, here's, here's the deal with that, okay? It caught me off guard too. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I've heard a sermon on chapter 4, but on verse 4. But in that version, if you have a Bible with that in it, it talks about an angel coming down to the water, stirring it up, and then the first person in the water gets healed, okay? Those who translate, do the, they do the manuscript work, believe that that verse was not in the earliest manuscripts, so they left it out. So ESV, NIV, and New American Standard, all the ones that we would use, NLT, it's not in there. So why? That's above my pay grade. So you can go study and read that. Um, that is not the kind of uh, uh, doctor I want to become. So um, you can go read that. But what's interesting is verse 7, we're going to see in a moment, kind of refers to what verse 4 was referring to there. We'll see that in a second, but verse 5. So one man was there who had been an invalid for how many years? 38 years. Some of you aren't even 38 years old. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Jesus reaching out and saying, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? He doesn't even know who this guy is. The guy, the invalid, doesn't even know who Jesus is. But verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and and while I'm going, another steps in before me. Like, I I can't get there in time. How, How can I be healed? And Jesus simply says to him, again, it's just super simple. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So what's he do? At once. That's a key phrase. At once, the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Oh, by the way, that was on the Sabbath. We'll get to that in a phrase, okay? Um, Here's the third truth about Jesus today. Jesus has the power to heal when we don't ask. You notice the centurion asked? The invalid didn't. 
The centurion initiated and asked that Jesus would heal his son, and Jesus did that. But here, Jesus initiates it, and the man is healed. My brothers and sisters, Jesus had and has the power to heal and transform lives, no matter if we ask or not. So why don't we go ahead and ask? Let's ask. God, will you do something powerful in my life? Please, for your glory, will you do the supernatural? Would you heal this person? Would you change this, this person or change this in me or this life circumstance? Change me, please. But guess what? Jesus is God, and He can change someone even when they don't ask. There are times when He initiates His transforming power for His sovereign, in His sovereign wisdom for His glory. Now, in one sense, we do believe that Scripture teaches that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, and it is only by God initiating are we brought to salvation. But that's for a discussion for another day. Let's be reminded here that Jesus has the power to heal, and Jesus is going to show us why here in a second. But Jesus can still heal, change lives today. Think for just a quick moment. 38 years is a long time. I struggle with 38 minutes. Like, I got to suffer that long? 38 days, 38 weeks, 38 months, 38 years. My friends, whether it's days, weeks, or months, or years, we can ask God. If Jesus heals, we can ask him, God, please do this. We ask with faith. We ask with anticipation. Again, I want you to take just a moment, because as I'm talking here, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart something big, something supernatural that right now I want you to ask God to do. Take a moment. Just, you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes, but you can. But take a moment. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds. Would you just ask God to do something powerful that, it, that only He can do? Ask Him now, please. Father, I'm sure that there are some who knew right what to ask for because they've been asking. And there might be others here who um, are, are maybe even afraid to ask or, oh, what, what do I ask God for? And so on their behalf, I'm asking that you would do something powerful and supernatural in their life. Lord, I'm praying that we would get to celebrate these things together of you doing some things that only you can do. Your word says Jesus did it. And we're asking for more of that even today. Please, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, it can get a little awkward if you're praying for God to change the person next to you, but we'll, we'll move on. To, they may be your project. Let's see what Jesus does next. Verse 9. And at once, the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Well, what's happening on the Sabbath? So the Jews said to the man who had been healed. Now just catch their tone. I don't think I would do well enough. Uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty authoritative. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Not, you got healed? That's awesome. 
No, you broke a law. But he answered them, the, the man who healed me, that man, I don't know his name, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now again, John just jumps right ahead in verse 24 or 14. He says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Physical, but he changes the conversation. He says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We'll get to that phrase here in a second. I'll explain that. But first, I want you to see this, number four. Jesus cares more about the needs of the broken than the traditions of the religious. We're all religious in our own ways, but it's pretty obvious here. Jesus cared about the man and the Pharisees didn't. And we're going to kind of see some of that interaction keep going over and over again. These religious guys just didn't get it. Hear me out on this. In their drive for power and perfection, they missed the one who had all the power and perfection. There's so many ways that we can apply this today. What kind of needs does Jesus care about? In one sense, I'd say all of them, but specifically here we see he met the man's physical needs and he met the man's spiritual needs. He said, sin no more. We have some other stories in the Gospels and in John where he says, go and sin no more. So what's he mean by that nothing worse may happen to you? It's a little difficult to to interpret exactly what Jesus means here because we have some other places where his disciples ask him, well, who sinned? Was it the man or was it his parents? And he says, neither. So the reality is there are times, okay, hear me out on this, where we suffer disease and sickness and it is not due to anything that we do. Now, I do believe there are times when we sin and there are consequences to our sin and that will often impact our physical bodies. But there are times, we see an indication here, in fact, the ESV study Bible says it this way, sin no more may imply that the man's suffering was due to sin, but it's not suggesting, hear me out, this is really important, that all suffering is due to personal sin. We have a sovereign God, and sometimes we don't understand why he does what he does. In fact, most of the time, we don't understand why he does what he does. Remember the book of Job? You basically just need to walk away from Job and say, okay, God, you can do what you want because you're God. And that's really, the, the, it's, a, it's a humbling book. So we, we just need to, we, we just don't know sometimes why suffering takes place, but no matter what, we get to bring that suffering to Jesus. And that's what we're here to do today. Which, by the way, may our religious traditions never get in the way of helping broken people. Okay? May we never be a church where our ways of doing things keep us from helping broken people. Now, the reality is there will be some who come in our doors and, and they will hear the truth of God's word and that will offend them because we're gonna, we're gonna boldly say this is what Jesus says, now, but, we, but we need to do it in love and grace, knowing that we need it just as much as they do. So let's let God's word do the offending and not our own 
traditions, not our own interests. So as we invite our neighbors and our coworkers and our relatives, hey, come hear about Jesus in our homes and in churches, let's not let our traditions get in the way. Last four verses, verse 15. The man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus. So once he found out it was Jesus, he had to tell them it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why then the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. I'll never forget you know, these rules on the Sabbath, but friends of mine in Michigan, when they were growing up, they were allowed to float in their pools on Sunday, but not allowed to swim in their pools. That's legalism. Okay, that's, the Pharisees would have been proud of that. I'm sure that, that you remember, if you grew up in church, all the things you could or couldn't do, like stop running in churches as God's house and things like that. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get off and beat up my legalistic brothers and sisters like I was. That's not the point of the passage. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Here's what's happening here. Jesus is implying that he, like his father, is Lord of the Sabbath. Because when the Jews would hear this, they would know that he's claiming to be God. Jewish rabbis taught that God, as he, as he upholds the universe, that he's not breaking Sabbath. Stop and think about that. I, 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 had, I had to process that a little bit. Is God working right now or not? Because it says in seven days, in six days, he created everything, and then he... And then he rested. So is God resting now or not? You know, well, he's sovereign. He can figure all that out. He tells us to rest because we need it. Well, the point is that, that Jesus says, guess what? If, if, if the Father's working, so am I. And the truth is, I, I'm with the Father because verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. <laughs> not, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, I mean, like, you're healing people on a holy day. Knock it off. I mean, <laughs> Jesus always get in trouble, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. The last truth, Jesus the Son has the same authority as God the Father. Now, there is a, a good sense that um, you and I are very used to that truth, and that's good because it's ingrained in us. Jesus is God. Like, that's beautiful. But my friends, let's never take that for granted. Let's remember that we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're Trinitarian. One God, three persons. It's, it, sometimes it'll blow your mind trying to figure it all out and think it all through. But Jesus is God. And the reason that becomes so important is because that's not what the world says. The world says Jesus is just a man. Just maybe, maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he didn't exist at all. Or maybe he's an angel, whatever. No, he is God. Guess how, and John believes that too because he starts off his book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We believe that Jesus is God. And this is what, and the reason is because John wants us to see this. He wants us to see that he's Lord over everyone, that he, has the, he, has, he offers salvation to everyone. He has the power to heal whether we ask or not. He cares more about broken people than religious traditions. So as we close, I want to summarize uh, four different responses to this truth about who he is. And the first one is this, 
fact, I, I, I think John wants us to see this contrast. The centurion, the, the uh, Roman official, he asked and he believed. He found Jesus and said, heal my son. He believed. He asked and he believed. The invalid obeyed, or maybe a good word there, you could also word the word received. When Jesus healed him, he's like, okay, I'll get up and walk at once. And then eventually he went around telling everybody, hey, Jesus saved me. He proclaimed just like the woman at the well did. But then that leads us to the Jews, the Pharisees. They rejected and persecuted. Which one will you be today? In your notes in the bulletin, I gave you two little words. I will. So what will you do upon hearing the truth today that Jesus is equal with God? That Jesus uh, heals whether we ask or not? Or that Jesus cares more about the needs of broken people than he does the religious traditions? What, what do you need to hear today? What is God telling you and what are you going to do about it? Bill, why don't you come on up and Shauna and whoever else is playing, Carl. As you ponder your response, I want to invite you uh, to the Lord's table. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us as we remember what our Savior did on the cross. Would you join me in prayer? And just uh, After I'm done praying, you can come up and receive the elements and then we'll stand and, and receive them together as we remember what he did for us. Father, we thank you for these stories, these stories about Jesus. Thank you that we have someone like John who is showing us that Jesus is God. And God, I am praying for those in this room who believe that their faith would grow even stronger. And maybe someone in her who's wrestling with, do I really believe this Jesus guy? Do I really believe that he's God? I know there's probably even some in here who, who are tempted to rebel against that because they recognize that when you say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is God, there's authority there. And I pray that there would be repentance and surrender on their part. Would your Holy Spirit be working now? We all need something different, but you know what it is. But together, as one Family, we, we just take a moment and say thank you for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take